scary girl. Hi, everybody. Hey, everyone. I'm Stephanie. And I'm Sarah. And, and this, this is Dead Time Stories. A weekly podcast where Sarah and I get together to talk about ghost stories, true crime, spooky things, supernatural, paranormal, supernatural, cults, conspiracies, all sorts of just weird, eerie things, whatever it is that comes up that week that we want to talk about. Why is that, Sarah? Because it's our show and it's not yours. Uh, if you're new to the show just stop and start at the beginning of the show from episode one (laughs) thank you so much and i want to point out that as of this episode we're now at 140 can you believe that yes it feels like just yesterday we were at 100 episodes these 40 episodes have flown by oh my god wild yeah we're 10 away uh, from 150 we were planning our 100th episode a year ago that's insane. I know. Insane in that's, the membrane. That's... Yeah. Insane in the brain. <laughs> that's it. That's the next line. <laughs> that's the next line in the song. That's what he says. How are you today, Sarah? Um, You know what? I'm good. I just took my face mask off. Yeah, and... your skin is looking refreshed. Thank you. It feels refreshed. It's ready to hear some good. ghost stories. Yeah, or whatever it is. you're your face talk about. <laughs> <laughs> my face is ready. Yeah. Unlike Botox, with the moisturization, I feel like I can move my face more for better reactions. Right. (laughs) (laughs) That is the opposite of Botox. (laughs) Because my face has more expression as opposed to less. I got it. I got it. (laughs) Instead of being taut, it is soft and diffuse and lovely and luscious. That's it. Looking good. Stephanie, how are you today? I'm, you know what? I'm good. Good. (laughs) I'm determined to be good. I like that. When I walked out to my car this morning, which was parked directly in front of my house, somebody had hawked a loogie on my car. Oh, okay. There was like somebody's dried snot on my passenger side window. (gasps) Oh, that's gross. Mm -hmm. And Corona times, no less. Yeah. So that was yucky and not good. Uh, but I was not going to let that be my whole day. At least it wasn't on the driver's side. The side I get in, right. And I, well, I put, and I usually open the passenger side to put my backpack and stuff in the front seat, but I was like, well, I guess I'll just get in the pa- the driver's seat and then put it over and there. Put it over. Um, but then I went to work and I took some notes on my first story <laughs> after, you know, doing like work related things. Sure. Yeah. Of course. And of course. work happened. Super exciting. I have personalized my phone some more with, like, widgets and shortcuts. It's so cute. It's adorable. I love it. (laughs) And then after work, before I came home, I went and got my car washed. And because, you know, I had to get that spit off my car. You washed that loogie right out of your car. Yeah. I had to wash that loog right off of my car. That is the second time today that song has come up because I said I wanted to make a TikTok of me singing the song I like to sing when I'm about to smoke weed, which is, I'm on to smoke that weed right into my lungs. Um, Nice. I got a car wash. I don't know if you know this about me. I love a car wash. (laughs) I've always loved them since I was a little kid. My mom saw how much I loved going through the car wash as a kid and she would like just take me to the car wash and then just watch me be like <laughs> and I realized in the car wash day that I was giggling like that like still I just love like, <laughs> going through a fucking car wash so right this had um I feel like you don't see those big blue squeegee things much yes. anymore most car washes are like touchless car washes yeah. where they just spray you so it had all of the those which I love. It had the tricolor foam Ugh, which you, I, I love, right? And there were at least three different colored lights through the car wash. There was a red car light when you came in. There was a blue light in the middle and a green light at the end. Um, not, it's a whole experience. Not red, yellow, and green, which I thought was a little weird choice because of traffic lights, but I, I don't mind it because the blue was a great ambiance in the car wash. They wanted it to be a little more soothing. Um, Val in. asked if it was a 10 out of 10, where I would recommend. I would say it was a solid 8 out of 10 right. um, because I wish that it lasted longer. Um, like, I felt like it was over said. too quickly. Of course. And I could have had a little more tricolor foam realness. But it was a solid car wash experience, and the loogie was off of my car, and 
I forgot, aside from the loogie, how kind of dirty my car was. It's not kind of, it was gross. When I got out of my car, I was like, ooh, you look nice. First of all, this car looks beautiful. Uh, and second, now I really need to clean the inside of my car because that's gross. And I can't blame that on anybody but myself. But so, my car is shiny and new and I'm having a good day. As you're describing your car wash experience and, of course, also washing the loogie off, I thought of what we could replace I seen it with for the Patreon. Oh, yeah? And it would be you going around and rating different car washes. Oh, my but God. as you're describing them, it needs to sound like you're describing sex. So you oh, got the see, tricolor foam, thinking... you got the squeegee touch, <laughs> you got the blue colored lights, which was like an ambiance, the nice finish, you'd rate it an 8 out of 10, you even got the loogie washed off. Like, is she talking about a car wash or is she talking about sex? Who knows? See, I was thinking when you were saying review car washes, I was thinking instead almost like a car wash reaction video. Oh my like, God. Like, what if I filmed me <laughs> in the car wash? And I wouldn't put maybe the whole video out. Like, I'd probably edit it to the best moments. But how would how, how would people feel about that? Like, me reviewing car washes? Yeah. Does that sound like some of that five-star, five-dollar Patreon content you want to pay for? That five-dollar. Like, I'd be paying more for the car washes. They, they're going to say back, they're going to be like, no, we like I seen to What the fuck are you doing? Go watch another horror movie. Goodbye. I was uh, telling Sarah that I'm that I don't even like horror movies, and I feel like now I have to keep watching them because every month I'm like, oh, now I gotta watch a movie so I can tell Sarah about it. <laughs> so if you don't know, we do have a Patreon. You can go support us over there. Uh, this is content for our Patreon that we're talking about. Yeah, we're always thinking of trying to think of new content, trying to think of new rewards for you, our supporters. New things. Sarah, are you ready to tell stories? Like, We're both so excited about our stories. Yeah, you know it's not new? The format of the show. Hey, Stephanie. And the banter's over, you bitches. Done. We're done. <laughs> hey, Sarah. Hey. Hey. Leslie. Is it a question now? Y'all. Y'all ready, ready to talk about, about some ghosts? Y'all ready to talk about some ghosts? Isn't it? I always felt like it was like, hey, Leslie, like, is Leslie there? I don't know. I thought that's what we I did. I think that started as like a thing of, are we still doing Leslie? But I think in the beginning it was, hey, Leslie. Oh. Like, we'll we're tapping in. Next, next, like, next week. Like, Leslie, are you paying attention? Hey. Hey, Leslie. Leslie. Hey, Leslie. And Y'all ready like, to talk about some ghosts? What? Y'all ready to talk about some, some ghosts? ghosts? Well, I'm ready to talk about some ghosts. Do it. I am talking about some ghosts. Yeah, you are, you dirty bitch. So, if you haven't noticed, the common theme is Sarah's been talking about some ghosts. Sarah is talking about some ghosts. That won't be it all year, but for now, this week and next week, it will be. So, this week, I'm talking about the Hotel Metlin in Dillon, Montana. Dillon, Montana, you say? Dillon, Montana. You did say that. I I heard you. I said it. So, the Dillon, uh, Montana, the Dillon. See, now you got me all focused on the town and it doesn't even fucking matter. (laughs) The hotel was built in 1897 by a Joseph C. Metlin. It was once a thriving hotel, but now, of course, it is not that. And it only offers an open bar downstairs. Is it still a hotel, though? It's just not a thriving hotel? No, it's not a hotel at all. It's just a bar. Like it's that's the only thing that's open. Obviously, the hotel is still okay. there. When you but said it's not open bar, I thought you meant like open bar. But now I mean, I know. You, you just mean it's a bar that is open for business. It's a bar that is open. One of the videos I watched about it on the history was like, and it's the open bar, and I had the same thought where I was like, oh, fuck. open bar. <laughs> hey. hey, no, you have to pay for your drinks. <laughs> A little bit of history. This hotel was built to offer luxury accommodations for the railroad travelers coming through Dillon, Montana. And it did just that in the beginning. It was a very thriving hotel for the time. The architecture, the amenities, the decor, furniture, etc. was all very luxurious. It's very nice. And it is still a beautiful building. But 
people stopped using the railroad. Uh, I don't know if you heard, but we're not really taking trains places anymore. Not much. And so people aren't staying in the hotel and things began to decline. The hotel business itself began to dry up, but thankfully they did still have their bar inside, which was going strong and helped to keep the entire building afloat. It was not strong enough, however, to keep the rooms upkept, and the rooms on the second and the third floor became low-cost rentals, and it started to slowly deteriorate from there. The hotel was fortunate enough to always be owned by people who tried and cared to keep it open and alive. And in 1983, the hotel became listed on the National Register of Historic Places, which means that they can't just bulldoze it for no reason. So it's a historic place. In the late 1980s, the hotel was purchased by the family that still owns it today. In the 1980s, you said? In the 1980s, yeah. So it got... On the National Register of Historic Places in 83, and I want to say in like 87, this family bought it. And then the women of the family ran the hotel. So the first woman ran it, and then her daughter, who we'll talk about, who's named as Dorothy, she ran it. And now her daughter, Sandy, owns the hotel with her business partner and best friend, Philly. So it's been run by three women of the same family. Yeah. Keeping it all in the family, keeping it all in the ladies. So, yep, run by the three women of the family. Oh, and the middle woman, Dorothy, the daughter of the woman who bought it, the mother of the woman who owns it now. She, the hotel was her baby and she lived and she died in the hotel. The family focused on restoring the building, and there was a large portion of restoration that happened in 2011 where the hotel and saloon were closed for a long period of time. Uh, And they, you know, sort of did a little bit of construction, restoration. The hotel now is a well-cared-for, slightly updated version of its original self. But in 2013, the owner wanted to retire, and so the Hotel Metlin went back on the market, and as of today, it is still for sale. It's, I'm not sure how much it costs, because I might have definitely looked into it, and it's listed as being 32,000 square feet. It's got 42 rooms. It's got a restaurant, fully functioning restaurant, and poking gam- poking poker gambling area. It's got two saloons, a conference room, and a wedding reception area. And it's pretty precious. It's three floors. But it's also fucking haunted. Haunted. Right, yeah. Haunted. Natch. Natch. Or else we wouldn't be here. So this place is haunted as hell. First, we're going to start with the family. This isn't a real estate podcast. I know, right? Wouldn't that be crazy? What if... Oh, what if we turned it into a horror real estate podcast? I only go and find <laughs> the haunted places that are for sale. That are up for sale. And then we then we put in a bid on them and then we try to buy them and then we we flip them and we turn it into an HGTV show. I love Haunt it. Haunt it or list it. <laughs> <laughs> that's it. Done. That's the money maker right there. That's that's where that's what the show like turns into. That becomes our dead time stories becomes haunted or listed. It that's Mm -hmm. a jump. I hope we're still allowed to be explicit. Anyways, so the family, Dorothy, who we talked about, who died in the hotel, she was the current owner, Sandy's mom, and I already mentioned that she died there. So right now the hotel (laughs) is three times. I know. Did you know that she died in the hotel? Have you met my friend John? Have you met our friend Dorothy? Um, So when Dorothy knew that she was dying, she took her daughter Sandy and her daughter's business partner, and I assume best friend, Philly, uh, out to lunch and was basically like- See, I kind of thought they were more than business partners, but I didn't want to assume, so I'm just going to call them best friends. So- They all go out to lunch and Dorothy's like, I'm about to die. So what of my stuff do you want? And Philly goes, well, I don't really want anything. But you know what, Dorothy, when you die, come back and send me some sort of a signal, like send me some kind of a sign from beyond the grave. And Dorothy says, "Okay, got you. 
when I die, I'm going to come back and I'm going to break a glass. So according to Philly, around two to three days after Dorothy died, Philly and Sandy are sitting in what used to be Dorothy's bedroom and they're working on things for the funeral, like writing the eulogy, etc. Philly said it was super quiet. Then the door opened and Dorothy's brother, Mike, walked into the room. And at that point, they heard the sound of a glass cup sliding across the table. And then they said a glass just broke because none of them saw it move. They just saw the, they heard the aftermath and looked down and there was a broken glass. There she is. There she is. Plain as day. Won't she do it? And she did it. If she don't do it, it don't get done. And she did it. (laughs) So while I, of course, watched an episode of Ghost Adventures about this, and while Ghost Adventures, the guys are interviewing Philly about this story, they're sitting in the room that was Dorothy's room. They're sitting at the table. And after that, Philly tells the story and Zach says something along the lines of like, well, this is a really beautiful hotel that you have here. It's very nice. And they're recording all of this. Later on, they play it back and they catch an EVP and they catch an EVP of a woman's voice when Zach says, well, this is a very beautiful hotel you have here. The woman's voice comes through and says, thank you. Mm. And it's just clear as day. And they, of course, played it for Philly, and Philly's like, oh, that's Dorothy. That's her. But, you know, take that as you will. I don't know if I would recognize anyone's voice over a- Who I'd never met before. Weird electronic. Well, no, Philly had met her. That It was Dorothy. Oh, Philly had met her. Yeah. It was Dorothy, the, the woman who broke the glass. Got you. She's like, oh, that's Dorothy. That's definitely Dorothy. That's Dorothy. That's Dorothy. She be breaking the glass. She's like, thank you. So people also. Thank you, broken glass. Thank you, broken glass. So another ghost that they talk about is having a woman in the hotel who's the woman in the white dress. Some people believe that the woman in the white dress is Dorothy. Some people think that she's someone else. We're not really sure. One thing we do know about the hotel that I haven't gotten into just yet is that a whole bunch of people died in this hotel. Oh, yeah, the fuck they did. Because, of course, this hotel saw the Wild West. This hotel saw a lot of history. So, like a lot of hotels, it's seen a lot of death. And when you go back through the archives, a lot of things I read said that in almost every single room in the hotel, someone died. Mm -hmm. Whether it be by suicide, natural causes, or murder, someone died. So... They think the woman in the white dress could be Dorothy, who is someone who died in the hotel, or yes. someone else who died in the hotel. Who died in the hotel. <laughs> so she's been seen floating around the halls. People see her um, out. They've got the bar area, and then around the bar, they renovated it to where it's like a dance floor. And there are people mm-hmm. who work there who say they'll be walking past the doorway to the dance floor, and they'll look in, and they'll see a woman in a white dress is just dancing by herself at like, you know, two o'clock in the morning when they're closing down. They'll see her. And they're like, miss. Ma'am, you really, you gotta go. It was it was last call 15 minutes ago. And she just looks at him, puts up her middle finger, and dissipates. And they're like, oh, fucking Dorothy's back at it again. Every fucking time. I, I am not a friend of Dorothy. <laughs> She just breaks the glass. They're like, God damn it, Dorothy. Every fucking time. Every time. So also about the woman in the white dress. The bartender has a story where apparently it was a slow night and a woman came up and sat at the bar and she was wearing a white dress. And she had con- she made conversation with him for a few hours, but she didn't order any drinks. And then he said, all right, ma'am, it's last call. You need to leave. And she's like, okay. And she got up, he said she got up and she smoothly walked out the side door. And that's when he looked down and he noticed, Lieutenant Dan, she she ain't got no feet. (laughs) She ain't got no feet. I hate you. But Lieutenant Dan, she ain't got no legs. How'd she walk through that wall? 
So that's the woman in the white dress. Okay. Now we're going to go back to Philly a little bit. I was saying, no, there are other ghosts, though. Yes. So the other ghost that's there, the woman in the white dress seems to be pleasant enough. The third floor is locked, and they don't let people up to the third floor. And the third floor has been locked and closed for the most part for like the last 20 years. And that's, because there's a real son bitch who floats around in there. Oh, absolutely. There's a real motherfucker who lives up there. And that's supposed to be where the not nice, mean, malevolent, they say it's a dude who's up there, who's just a turd. One story says that it's the spirit of a kid who was murdered up in they call it the tower and if you look at a picture of the building in the front of it in the middle on the third floor the middle window looks almost like a tower and like sticks up taller than the rest of the building they say that in that tower a kid was murdered and so he's the one who's a little bastard up on the third floor but either way the third floor has been literally literally and no one fucks with the third floor Philly, we're going to go back to Philly, who's one of the co-owners. Philly does not fuck with the third floor. And Philly barely fucks with the second floor. And so, again, on this Ghost Adventures episode, Philly tells the tale of going up and she's working on the second floor and she's cutting in and putting down new carpet in the hallway. And she said she's working and she's cutting it in and she's got a box cutter. And then she just kept feeling the feeling of someone watching from behind her, someone just watching her. And she finally looks up and turns to look over her shoulder. And at that moment, she just saw this black mass she described as being like a black nope. shadow figure. And she had such an, uh, an intense amount of fear in that moment that as her body moved, her hand came down and she sliced her leg open with the knife that she'd been using ah! on the carpet. She said she gave oh. herself a three to four inch gash on her thigh. Oh. She does not, she does not like going up to the second floor anymore. Oh my God. So Ugh. at the time, I don't know if this is still the case because this episode came out in 2016, but at the time there was one person who was the bar manager. Cause again, the bar is still open at the Melton. The bar manager lives on property. So the bar manager lives in the hotel and he is the only one. And he looks to be at the time of this interview, like in his early 20s. And this kid lives in this hotel by himself. Nah. It's terrifying. So he tells them this tale of how one night the bar is bumping like it does in Dillon, Montana on a Saturday night. Pew, 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 pew. And they're like, you know, having a good time on the dance floor. And he's, I use air quotes, DJing. And while he's DJing, he says that he all of a sudden just had a time loss. And he said as he's up there, everything out and around him disappeared. And the room was empty and the room was silent. And he was like, I was just standing up there and everything was gone. The bar was empty. No people he said he doesn't, he couldn't judge time, but it felt like four minutes where he was just there. He says he's heard growls, like he's heard something growl at him. And he still lives there. He says that he that. gets the spirit, senses the spirit of Dorothy visiting him in his dreams. However, she's a friend of Dorothy. Because he is a friend of Dorothy. She says thank you to him, too. So, she's at least nice. But Bailey lives there on his own and apparently just cohabitates with the ghosts and is like, this is fine. Now, while we're dealing with the third floor, we're going to go back up there for a second. Because when I was doing research, the only thing I could find about the third floor were that people would go up there and occasionally do a Ouija board session and catch something like, get out, I don't want you here. Etc. <laughs> the windows would open and close and candles would go out. Sure, okay. So Ghost Adventures traips their little asses it's up windy. there. Oh, oh no, oh man, he's gonna get me. 
Ghost Adventures goes up there, and while they're setting up and they've got static cameras in there, they're already catching thumps and footsteps. And at one point, right before they go head up to do their investigation and the camera is just sitting in the third floor on the hallway, they hear a really loud thump. And then you hear our favorite thing in the world, a screaming woman. Nope. And you hear it clear as day through the audio. (laughs) Yes. And they're, of course, like, oh, we got to get up there right now because they're psychopaths. (laughs) So they go running up towards it and they experience a lot of stuff while they're up there. People feel like they get touched They catch a body, like a stooped over, incredibly cold figure on their thermal imaging camera that passes behind them. So you can tell that it's not them because it's cold as hell and it's moving almost intelligently. Oh, my God. So they're scared. And then they, of course, decide that they're going to leave Aaron in there by himself. Of course. So they're what like, else okay, would they do? Yeah. He's like, all right, so Aaron, you're terrified. I'm going to leave you up here by yourself. Leave you in here. You're going to do devices. an investigation. Yeah. And they're going to feed off your fear. That's exactly what we want. And he walks out and he closes the door on Aaron. And then he fucking padlocks it shut and locks him in there. And Aaron's like. So all you did was confirm to me he's a piece of shit. No, 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 no. Yeah, he is a piece of shit. So Aaron's in there by himself. He's like, I really don't want to. But he whips out the spirit box and the spirit box just starts saying over and over, just regret, 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 yep, regret. I knew it. I knew it. <laughs> no, it doesn't. That what was else me. What the spirit box say? That was me. No, the spirit box catches a few things that sound like residual hauntings. But as he's walking down the hallway, it's, of course, got all the rooms from a hotel. And he's saying how weird it is and how he doesn't really feel great. Like, he doesn't feel like he should have his back to these rooms. He's like, I really feel like I shouldn't have my back to these rooms. Should I? And then on the spirit box, a man's voice comes through and it just says, yeah. And he was like, oh. (laughs) Yeah. Should I have my backs to it? (laughs) Yeah. No, I don't like it. And then Aaron says he starts smelling sulfur, which I don't know if you're familiar, but that mixed with everything else going on is complete textbook demon activity. Once you start smelling sulfur, you're like, that's That's the devil. That's a fucking demon. That's the devil. And then after you smell sulfur, he starts hearing a few thumps and then he starts like jolting and he's like, I keep seeing shadows and I keep thinking that I'm like seeing faces. And then he's all jumpy and he keeps saying he's seeing faces. And then you hear the sound of like thumping, almost like something is running up to Aaron and then stops right by him. Fuck that. And he's like, fuck that. And he's freaking out and they finally come and let him out and he gets to go downstairs. And he's like, that's not cool. I don't feel good. I don't like any of that. You guys are assholes. I'm telling my mom. I'm going to go tell on you. I can't handle this. So overall, that place seems haunted as fuck. On top of the white lady, the weird evil person on the third floor, the place is full of people being touched, footsteps all over the goddamn place, noises, scrapes, whatever you want. This has this hotel basically has all of it except for child ghosts. And it's for sale still. Go get it, y'all. So if you're interested, that's the Hotel Melton in Dillon, Montana, and it's Haunted AF. I'm interested. That's my story, and I'm sticking to it. I love it. I love it. I love all of it except for that screaming lady. For whatever reason she yeah, screamed, you know, I you did not like ladies. that. It's a problem. Did not like it. I don't like Didn't like ladies. it. Well, Stephanie, what are you talking about this week? Girl. I'm excited. I'm talking Let's go. About some shit. Let's go. So uh they I was watching this show that I put on as kind of like background noise while I was working on this month's ghost fart. And then I got really invested in what they were talking about. First, it just made me laugh because one of the people that this guy interviewed was like, 
the town historian. And the town historian was just like this 90-year-old lady who was the oldest person in town. And they were like, do you know any of these people? And she's like, oh, they were nice. But they play this like really dramatic, like true crime investigation music behind it. But she's really just like only the historian because she was alive the longest. Because she's the oldest person. (laughs) Right. Anyway, they were talking to her about this controversial man that lived in the town um, of McGainesville, Georgia. And that man's name was Dr. Thomas Hicks. He also had a son, but the son we'll usually refer to as Tommy. But Tommy was also Dr. Thomas Hicks. Of course. But we're talking about senior. Okay. But that's important because we're going to talk about Tommy a little bit later. What did Dr. Hicks do? You didn't ask, but you were thinking it. It well, uh, How did you read my mind? Well, because I said I was talking about him, so I assumed you are going to want to know why I'm talking about him. I thought you were <laughs> going to say because we're best friends, but that's fine. Oh, I mean. <laughs> <laughs> um, because I can read your mind because we're best friends. Yeah. I got that ESPN. Yeah. Yeah. That 18th sense. Um. <laughs> Uh, what he did was not funny. <laughs> oh, sorry. Okay, what did he do? He sold babies on the black market. Were they dead babies or alive babies? So, oh, they were, no, I mean, they were alive babies, but some of them were stolen. Like, he told the mothers that they were stillborn, and then he sold the babies. <gasps> now... He did a lot of things. He was the OBGYN, and he also delivered a lot of babies. So everybody in town knew who Dr. Hicks was. He also performed abortions, which were illegal at the time. So to some people, he was kind of a hero because he, like, helped girls on trombone. Yeah. But a lot of those girls, he, you know, he would try to talk them out of the abortion and then be like, I can help you find parents for this baby, and nobody will ever know that you had this baby. Or it's it's a mix, right, of what he told women because we don't have all the information. So let's take it back a little bit into what blew the cover on this story. Yeah, like how did he even get started in the baby trade? So this was happening in the 40s, 50s, and 60s in Georgia. This what? Was a, this is a while ago. This I did not, not expect you to be to say that long. I was expecting like the 70s, 80s. Hell, no, even 40, two 50, years 60s. ago. Wow. Okay. Um, All right. Let's go. So, <laughs> yeah, it's crazy. So how did the whole thing get discovered? Many, many years later. There's a lady who she's the key, like, in. I say investigator, but it's not like her job. She's not a detective. But she headed looking into this because she was involved. So her name is Jane Blasio. And she found out about her own illegal adoption in the 1980s. She was told that they didn't know the exact date because she because she found like a baby book that she wasn't supposed to find mm-hmm. that had like her sibling's birth date and then her birth date, but the birth date was wrong by like a few months. Mm-hmm. Um, and she's like, that's not the day on my birth certificate. Well, what's wrong with that? And they were like, Oh, well, because we didn't know, like, when we were going to get you. Like, we were put on, like, this list and we were, like, waiting and, like, we weren't sure. And then as they gave her more information, it came out that her parents purchased her out of the back door of a clinic in Georgia. What the actual fuck? Mm-hmm. How? For $1,000. For $1,000? In 1964. $1,000. And her adoptive parents were like, we'll just tell her this was normal and she'll never ask questions. So here's the thing. All the pieces that we have are hard to put together because of when how big this was got blown up. Right. Mm -hmm. And like her, she said that like her mom only told her so much. Jane, her adopted mom, only told her so much. And then after her adopted mom died, her adopted dad opened up a little more and, like, told her more about, like, what happened. Okay. And, like, how they got her. And she really wanted to learn about her biological parents. So she started going on this journey and, like, went to McKinney'sville and was, like, looking into it. 
So she went to McCainesville in Georgia. And this is the, like, 80s and 90s, okay? Because she spends, like, 10 years trying to figure out, like, where she came from and what happened yeah. and, and the greater scale of everything. Of course. But she said when she went to McCainesville and she was asking about Dr. Hicks, who by this time had died. He died in the 70s. He died in 1972. Mm-hmm. Wow! So, she, so it doesn't yes. even... Ma- not that it doesn't matter, but like... Not that it doesn't matter, but no, he will never be brought to justice. And no one can ever ask him his motives or ask him any information. So all the information that we have, I will tell you about what what we learned, but we had to learn it through bits and pieces of all these different people because... Because he dead. There was nothing, and he was gone. Wow! And okay. no one found out about this until like two decades after he died. Wow! So to say no one found out about it, we'll also come across what that means. Because somebody had to know about it, right? So when she went to McCainesville and she was trying to find information about Dr. Hicks, she couldn't find anyone who would talk to her. Like, no one would give her information about him. And she couldn't really figure out why everyone was so hush-hush and why. Like, this man had been dead for, like, 20 years. Why was nobody willing to talk about him. So finally she said she went to like, there was a store that she went to and this guy was like, I'll talk to you, but I won't talk to you here. Here's my address. You can meet me at my house and don't let anybody know that I'm talking to you. Don't let anybody in town know because they wouldn't want me talking to you. Weird. Okay. (laughs) I'm like, did he blackmail everyone in town? I don't... So she goes to this guy. She's, like, asking questions. She's learning stuff. She eventually... Now, this is in 1997. So this is 10 years after she initially began her search. She meets up with this magistrate in the town who doesn't have any ties to the Hicks family because it's a very small town. So everybody's, like, people talk. We don't want to, like, mm-hmm. anybody know any of our shit. Um, so this person has no ties to the Hicks family, is not somebody who has a long history in the town, and is like, yeah, I'll help you find some information. And she's like, help me look at, like, um, like birth certificates from the Hicks clinic. That's what I would like to look at. That's what I'd like to find. So basically, from the birth certificates, they estimate that Dr. Hicks sold over 200 babies. Oh my god. God, that's two hundred thousand dollars. If he he was getting thousand dollars a head, mm-hmm. wow. Yeah, and there were two hundred babies, like specifically going to like between Georgia and like the Akron, Ohio area. So it was like specifically in this kind of like range, but they were scattered. It wasn't like just right here and right there. But they estimated that he had sold over two hundred babies. That's crazy. So, birth mothers received a birth certificate slash death certificate um, because it was a certificate not of live birth, right? But a certificate of a stillborn. Mm-hmm. And then the adoptive parents, and I use quotation fingers, the adoptive parents got a birth certificate that listed them as the birth parents. So, there was nothing to tie any of the babies to their actual biological parents. Wow. Not even like their names. Like the baby. No, there were no records. No, nothing. Wow. Mm-hmm. So this story became national news at the time. This was 1997. Jane um, put this story out there. All these people started to check their birth certificates and find that their birth certificate said that they were born at the Hicks Clinic in McCainesville, Georgia. And a bunch of these people started to come forward and they were known as the Hicks Babies. Because they were babies that were sold through the clinic who had no ties to their biological parents, could not find their biological parents. Now, mind you, some of these babies were given up willingly, but some of these babies were stolen. Like, the parents were told their babies were stillborn. I was like, that's it. They were told their babies were dead. Correct. So that happened for a lot of them. But also, it seems like some of the babies were related to people who were like really high up in the town like that was also a theory like how were all these people keeping it a secret maybe because all these people knew or these people were in on it right Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. 
But in 1997, they also only had so much evidence they could go on. DNA was very limited at the time. They didn't really, like, understand a lot about how that worked. But so the Hicks babies have been coming forward and, like, sharing their stories with each other and, like, trying to find some connection over time. And very few of them have been paired with their biological families. Um, their chances go down as time goes on, because remember, if this was happening in the 40s, 50s, and 60s, these people now are in their 50s and 60s. Like, these people, their chances of finding their biological parents alive are very low. Slim to none, yeah. Wow. And those parents have no idea. The people who gave birth to these babies. Wow. Yeah. It's crazy. There's so I feel like that's all that I'm saying. I'm like Owen Wilson over here just wowing my way through this story that you're telling me. But that's the only reaction I can think of. I want to know why other than the money. But like, was it that hard to go through an abortion? Abortion. Is it that hard to go through an adoption procedure? That they just went like legitimately to the back. It was about the uh, now. From my understanding, a lot of it was about the scandal. Like these people, if they had an adoption, like it would have to be on file that they had a baby, and then that baby was transferred to someone else. Versus if it was on file that their baby died, no one would be looking for that baby. Yeah, but the people looking for a baby, why didn't they go through a regular adoption? clinic as opposed to going and paying a thousand dollars for a baby on the black market from a clinic in georgia that is a great question so i have some notes written about some of the different hicks babies one of them is diane warner and diane warner is one of the only hicks babies whose mother is still alive her adoptive mother okay And she actually physically met Dr. Hicks in person. Wow. So Jane, because Jane's feelings were like, you know, Dr. Hicks wouldn't have been, Jane made this analogy that I really didn't like because she said that, um, you know, Dr. Hicks wouldn't be selling these babies if there weren't people who would be buying these babies, which I get. And she compared it to like, if you really want a pair of designer boots and you really can't afford the designer boots and someone says like, Hey, I have these designer boots and you don't know where you can't ask where they came from. You can't ask any questions, but you can afford these designer boots. And she's like, some people want those designer boots bad enough. And I was like, this is a child. This is a human this being. This isn't somebody's boots. Okay. This isn't a- some people. Yeah. will be really desperate to get children to have a child. <laughs> so like, I get it. But Diane's mom basically said, like, she didn't realize there was anything, like, weird about his practice. Now, the reason that she didn't adopt where she was, so she was in Michigan, and in her state at the time, in order to adopt, you had to, she and her husband were married, but you had to own your home, you couldn't have any debt, and you had to have a certain amount of money, like, in savings. Mm -hmm. And they didn't own a home. And they didn't have, they weren't out of debt. And so they were never going to be able to adopt in Michigan. And they heard through somebody at work that there was this doctor who ran a clinic in Georgia where they could get a baby for $1,000. <laughs> so she, of like many of the adoptive mothers, thought Dr. Hicks was a wonderful man because Dr. Hicks gave her what she always wanted, which was a baby. And she didn't really think about the greater repercussions of, like, where that baby came from. Yeah. And the, like, what it meant to buy a baby on the black market. And that (laughs) that baby could have potentially, like, been another woman's pride and joy. And now that other woman is grieving the loss of a child that she didn't lose in the way she thought. She was under the impression it was an adoption. Do you know what I mean? Yeah, yeah, yeah. No. They wouldn't have known that it was a stolen baby. Only he knew because the supply and demand was off, I guess. Because he was the one doing it. Yeah. But this means he also had to have delivered a lot of babies. Do you know what I mean? Like, if he only had a a reputation for your baby babies, like, no one would go to him. (laughs) Like, he had to have a great reputation as a doctor. Yeah. So ultimately, he did lose his license, but he lost his license for performing abortions Mm. because abortions were illegal. Yeah. And he lost his license in, like, 1964 for performing abortions. Wow. So a big part of it, too, is, like, people wanted to defend his name because they thought he, like, really helped 
women. Yeah. Right? Like women, women knew if you were in trouble, you went to Dr. Hicks and it was going to be really discreet and no one was going to know. Yeah. Yeah. And that's important. Yes. So one of the things that's also noticed about the birth certificates of the Hicks babies is that many of them had really low birth weights, like under five pounds. So generally babies being born um, around that weight are, that's probably premature babies, right? A big chunk of them have to be being born early. So then there was this idea that, like, was he inducing women? Was he, like, making women go into labor early and then telling them they lost their baby because their baby was so young? Yeah. So the weights of these babies are consistent with babies that were 31 to 32 weeks, which a full gestation is 40 weeks. This, um, I was like, okay, that sounds really bad. But I, listening in, I was like, wow, this is really awful when they really, like, put it in perspective. So even today, babies born before 35 weeks are automatically admitted to NICU. So that those babies were very much in danger by being born that early. Wow. Um, and then the example that they talked like a like a person a doctor who specializes in premature baby care. Um, and the perspective that he gave was that at that time, Patrick Kennedy, which was JFK's third son, was born while JFK was in office. He was 34 weeks when he was born and he died at two days old. And that was the president's baby, which means that baby had the best care, like the best access to medical care. So the other question that came in was, of all of those babies, how many of those babies didn't make it? Probably a whole lot. Probably a lot of them that no one ever knew what happened to them and the people who adopted them. What did they do with them? This baby that they didn't give birth to. They had a fake birth certificate, if any birth certificate for. Did they just dispose of them? Do you think he gave them the baby quick enough that the baby would die with the new adoptive parents and not die there in the clinic if the babies are that young and premature like they're so unstable so diane's mother and what many of the mothers said when they were on the list to receive a baby they were told that when it was time they would get a phone call that would tell them to be at the clinic within 12 hours Mm -hmm. when they got to the clinic they were to come in the front door sign the birth certificate pay the cash leave out of the back door and get out of town as quick as possible wow Diane's mother was told to bring a pillow so that the baby could rest on the pillow in her lap so she wasn't just carrying the baby the whole time because the baby was so small and delicate. Wow. Mm-hmm. How many of those people were Wild. so excited about getting their new baby only for that baby to die? Yeah. Isn't that horrible? That's awful. So in the 90s, Jane's search led her to find a woman named Kitty Self, but Kitty had died 10 years earlier in a car accident in 1987. She shared an uncanny resemblance to Kitty. Meeting all of Kitty's family, they said it was like meeting a ghost. She spent 17 years getting to know Kitty's family before DNA came back in 2014. Kitty was not Jane's biological, biological mother. Oh, damn. Mm-hmm. Disappointing episode of Mari. It's so funny you bring up Mari. <laughs> <laughs> because the Hicks babies were on an episode of Mari. Of course they were. Um, which I was going to bring up later. <laughs> One of the other women that they talked to a lot in this documentary, who I thought she was just the most delightful human being, was um, Sally Comb Sompirak. I don't know how to say her last name. So we're just going to, I mean, we're just going to call her Sally. Just call her Sally. But Sally, so Sally is the adopted granddaughter of Dr. Hicks. Her father was Tommy Hicks. Okay. Now she was adopted by Tommy Hicks. Okay. But she always kind of had a theory that she was also biologically the child of Tommy Hicks. Right. That he just said. That he adopted his own baby. She like, she wasn't like, I know that for a fact. She just was like, I kind of have a feeling. And again, she shared a like uncanny likeness. She looks like she shows pictures of him and they look so much alike. It's crazy. That's really silly. 
I know. So again, she's the adopted granddaughter of Dr. Hicks. And her dad was Tommy Hicks. She acknowledges her grandfather's crimes, but ultimately she thinks he was a good man. Sally's mother couldn't conceive. She says that there was a baby that her grandfather had offered to the young couple, to Tommy and his wife. But Sally's mother turned that baby down, possibly because it was a baby that was known to the family. Yeah. But she didn't know why her mother turned that baby down. She just knew her mom turned the baby down. There's an uh, there's a woman in town who didn't want to participate in the documentary, so they kept, like, bleeping her name out. So we're just going to call her June. Cool. Okay. So June is about the same age as Sally, and her whole life, June always thought that she was Dr. Hicks Sr.'s daughter. Okay. And she couldn't really talk about it, and she couldn't really tell anyone, but she, her whole life, kind of believed that Dr. Hicks was her father. And that... That might be a part of why Dr. Hicks was selling babies. Were these his illegitimate children that he was selling? Were these the illegitimate children of high up officials in town? Was that a big part of the baby selling ring? So that brought in a lot of other questions, right? Yeah. Oof, that is a lot of questions. But June's mother, so the other woman, June's mother was a housekeeper for the Hicks. Mm -hmm. So she's like, I think that Dr. Hicks was my dad. Yeah. That ugh, makes sense. Sally believes that June was the baby that her mother didn't want, which also added to the question because she's like, did my mom not want her because she knew she was my the grandpa's bastard. baby? Yeah. Ooh, that's some family drama. So much drama. And even with all that drama, Sally has like the best disposition. Like she's super like light and fun. I liked her a lot. She was a great lady. So, like I said, she believes that she could be her adoptive father's biological child. Another one of the the Hicks children is a woman named Cindy Stapleton. So, she found her biological mother before, like, the show happened. Mm -hmm. Her biological mother is a woman named Lita. And Lita is one of the few biological mothers that they've been able to track down. So, they wanted to be able to ask her a few questions about what her experience was like going to the clinic. Yeah. Right? So she said that she had originally gone to the clinic for an abortion and that Dr. Hicks convinced her not to. And he said that he had a daughter who was looking to adopt. So she was kind of under the impression that Dr. Hicks's daughter was going to adopt her baby. And she was like, okay, then I'll, I'll keep the baby. Um, and then she was induced early and he, she said she didn't really understand why, but that he told her she needed to be induced early and that her baby did not end up going to Dr. Hicks's daughter and she wasn't sure what happened to her baby, but her baby ended up finding her instead. The other thing that got me about this was she was talking about going to the doctor for an abortion and... The guy interviewing her was like, oh, you know, which was illegal at the time. And this lady was like, abortions were never illegal. And he was like, in 1960 in Georgia? Yes, they were. And she was like, I didn't know that. And I was like, to to be in a situation where you didn't even know it was illegal because it's so accessible to you, you just do to go to Dr. Hicks. That is okay. So, oh, my gosh. <laughs> she was like, oh, I didn't know that. <laughs> Ma'am. Another lady who we will come back to, her name is Melinda Dawson. Melinda Dawson has also, she's one of the Hicks children that believes she might be related to the Hicks. Mm -hmm. Because she feels like she shares a little bit of a resemblance, but also because she heard that that her father was a really prominent figure in the town. So she kind of feels like her, her dad might be Dr. Hicks. Yeah. So, um, the Hicks family owns a mausoleum. But no one is actually buried in the mausoleum. They're buried next to it. And in 1997, the Hicks babies got a warrant to search the mausoleum because there was a rumor that there might be some documents in the mausoleum. Yeah, like why would you even have the mausoleum if you're not going to use the mausoleum? Girl, I don't know. So they got a search warrant to see if there were any documents in the mausoleum. But when the police opened it, they opened the crypt and they just opened the front. They didn't actually open any of the crypts, any of the yes. like, like slots. And so the uh, Hicks babies never really felt like that was explored. Like they really got to look in and see if there was anything in there. Yeah. 
they also left the search warrant there, like, uh, on the inside of the glass. So the documentary that this was made in 2017, so they start to reinvest, reinvestigate some of these things. And with Sally, who she's the family that's related to the Hicks, she is, you know, even though she's adopted, she's a Hicks. So she can give them permission to go into the crypt. She's just like, I don't have any keys for it, though. So they have to, like, hire a locksmith and, like, break into the mausoleum. I would love it. She's like, I don't have any keys, though. So, and she just lifts up a brick. She's like, I guess. Right. She's like, mm, no, they hired a locksmith. Uh, so once they opened it, they opened the crypts. And the crypts, like, they weren't just, like, oh, like, there was a lot to getting them open. And when they got them open, there was nothing inside, but there was another search warrant inside the crypt. So they were like, did somebody come back? Because we, the Hicks children, never saw inside the crypts. They only saw with the doors open. They didn't actually see into the crypts. How would a search warrant get inside of it? That's what they're all asking. Right. So somebody's like, did they come back here? When did they come back? Was there stuff in here when they came back? Did they take stuff that was in here? But there's no, like, there's no evidence or anything. They went to the police in McCainsville. And McCainsville sits on, like, the border of Georgia and Tennessee. And the Georgia cops were like, we don't have jurisdiction for for that part of McCainsville. You have to go to the Tennessee police. So they go to the Tennessee police and the Tennessee police won't give them any information. Wow. Yeah, that's wild. some conspiracy shit right yes. there. That's crazy. So, yes. So one of the other Hicks children, he is the oldest known Hicks baby. His name is Stephen Dilbeck. His birthday is January 20th, 1950. So happy 70th birthday, Stephen Dilbeck. Because when this episode comes out. Yeah. <laughs> he said that he was always, he always felt like he was treated like other in his family. He didn't find out he was adopted until he was 13, but it kind of all made sense. Yeah. Um. But like, and it came out because someone in his family was like, you're not even really in our family, you're adopted. And like, to add to, like, him being bullied by his family. And he went to his mother and asked his mother, like, is this true? And his mother was like, yes, it's true. So he had spent many, many years, he's got many failed attempts to find his biological family. So we talked about DNA testing and how that really wasn't very good in the 90s. And then we don't have any of the Hicks to talk to except for Sally, who was adopted. So she doesn't have the DNA that they need. So ultimately, after a lot of consideration, Sally decided to have her own father's body exhumed. Wow. So that they could pull a DNA sample. Yes. That's nice of her. To once and for all find out, not just is she actually her father's child, but to help all these other Hicks babies find out if any of them are related to the Hicks family. Yeah. All right. What do we find out? What do we find out? Girl... I could spend a whole episode just talking about the process of them exhuming the body because it was fascinating. And that medical examiner is a champ. (laughs) But they exhumed the body. It was in great condition, even after 41 years in the ground. Wow. And this is Tommy Jr.? In a lot of fluid. But (laughs) intact, just in fluid. Which apparently happens to you. Yeah, I Gross. know. I know. Ugh. But one of the things the, the medical examiner said, so they were all talking about the smell. You heard a lot of gagging. And she screamed at the camera people to stop filming. And then later in, like, her little side, she's, like, explaining herself. And she's like, I just want to let you know, like, I need to tell you to stop screaming, to stop filming. And I may have yelled at you, but you need to understand that my number one priority at the end of the day, that man is a person. He is someone's family. My job is to preserve that man's dignity. And I was like, Aww, yes, ma'am. Yes. Like, right, I was like, get you. <laughs> um, so she, like, didn't let them film the actual body. Yeah. Um, but you saw them, like, all around the casket and talking about the smell and, like, mm-hmm. gagging and stuff. But once they started to pull the body out, she was like, stop fucking filming. <laughs> but I was like, I love her. She's Cut great. Cut the camera. But she also was like, 
She was like, I don't, they must have embalmed him in straight arsenic. He looks the way he did when he went in the ground. <laughs> like, <laughs> like, like, how good he looks. That must be some fucking black magic in there. He just, he it looks great. It was so funny. She was like so impressed. Maybe he's embalmed uh, anyway, with it. Maybe it's Maybelline. So they got a DNA sample and they were able to test it to attempt to match Sally and some of the other Hicks babies. Mm-hmm. With the DNA testing... With Sally, she was not a Hicks. Damn. So she was adopted, but she was not biologically a Hicks. Oh, but they made her feel like one of them. Right, but she still, she was like, I'm still a Hicks. She's like, yeah, it's fine. He was still, and she was like, my daddy was the best daddy in the whole world. Like, she loves her family. Like, she's legit. And she's like, you know, I still love, I'm still a Hicks. I still love them. Um, June, the lady who was her age, who she thinks was the baby her mom didn't want to adopt because it might have been her grandpa's baby. Was her grandpa's baby. Oh, oh, shit. Damn, so how many more are out there? So none of the other people that I really, like, knew, do you know what I mean? Yeah, from that this they, documentary, like, followed. Were related to the Hicks. However, they were confirmed to be related to other people in the town. So Stephen Dilbeck, the guy who I talked about earlier, who was really, um, who was the oldest one, uh, they had found like a distant cousin mm-hmm. through DNA testing and they went to meet the distant cousin and ask her if she had any family that she knew had had babies at the uh, Hicks clinic. And she said, yes, my aunt Beulah had a baby at the Hicks clinic mm-hmm. and she has another baby, my cousin Kathy. And Kathy's like, yes, my mother had twins that were stillborn at the Hicks Clinic. There's two of them? Twins. They did a DNA test between Kathy and Stephen. They were brother and sister, (gasps) which means that Stephen was a twin, and we have no idea what happened to his twin brother, the other Hicks baby. Because Beulah was told that both, Both of, of them died. Both of were stillborn. Wow. Oh. Can you imagine? I can't even imagine being a twin and not knowing you were a twin. So to find out not and just that, like, your family you. did want you, mm-hmm. they were told that you were stillborn, but also you had a twin brother. And you don't find that out till you're, like, almost in your 70s. In your 60s. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Wow. Mm-hmm. And when the two, there were a lot of reunions and, you know, it was really emotional. But when these two met each other, like, immediately they said they, they felt like they knew each other. Aww. The brother and the sister. Aww. Like, they were, it was immediate. Mm-hmm. Um, there were a few other families that got connected. Was it Diane found her biological father, but he didn't want to meet her. Um, she found her biological mother's family and her biological mother had passed away. But her biological mother's family fully embraced her, very excited to meet her, welcomed her to the family, and they showed her pictures of her biological mother. She looked just like her. Aww. That's wholesome. So the DNA, they didn't have any DNA to match with Sally, but it did match June. Other major matches that had been made revealed um, the Hicks baby Melinda Dawson, who thought that she might be the daughter of Dr. Hicks. She was not the daughter of Dr. Hicks, but she was the daughter of the mayor, who was the mayor at the time. (laughs) The mayor! That all of this was going on. The mayor! Well, that makes sense. And another person matched with, um, he was the great nephew of who would have been the chief of police at the time. So that means, like, the girl who was in trouble, like, her, who would have been his mother, her uncle was the chief of police. So, if the chief of police and the mayor knew... Yeah. That means there were tons of people in the town that n- knew what the business was and either turned a blind eye or actively helped it. I would think actively helped it since they're reaping the benefits of it. I agree. So while we will never have all the answers for the Hicks children and we none of them, not all of them will be able to be reunited with their family and almost none of them will be able to meet their biological parents. Mm-hmm. We do have some better understanding of how Dr. Hicks was able to do what he did for so many years. That's a crazy story. Yeah. That's wild. Wild. That's And that is the, uh, what did I call my notes on this? It was Dr. Hicks Black Market Baby Clinic. That's it. 
go to Dr. Hicks for your baby fix. If you would like to know more information about this, the show that I watched, there's only three episodes of it. It's on Hulu called Taken at Birth. And I was like, oh, yeah, put that shit on. (laughs) And then the more I got into it, the more I was like, oh, my God, this is wild. This is so wild. That's crazy. Whew, that is wild. Wow. And that's my story. All right. I can do it. It's two wild and crazy rides. <laughs> if you like our show and you want to support it and you want to get more content from us, you should totally, absolutely, 100% sign up for our Patreon. We have $1, $5, and $15 tiers, which already have great prizes, but we've been talking lately about revamping it. So, yeah. like, let us know. You can also buy merch from our website, deadtimestories, all one word with a Z, dot com. You can email us at deadtimestories at gmail.com. That doesn't cost any money. The other two things do. But the other thing you can do that doesn't cost any money that's super, super helpful is to leave us a five-star review on iTunes. You can tell your friends, tell your friends to leave a five-star review on iTunes. But that's how new people find us. And that's how we, you know, move up in the iTunes ranks is by getting those reviews. So if you give us a five-star review, you take a picture, you send it to us, we will send a sticker straight to your motherfucking house, girlfriend. And you can have a sticker for free. That's a net gain. Win-win. That's it. That's it. That's it. And that's all. That's all. Thank you guys for listening. (laughs) Thank you so much for listening, everybody. Uh, Come back next week because I have a story that is related to the Dr. Hicks story. Uh By related, I mean, what'd you say? I said pun intended. Oh, no. Yes. Pun unintended. Related in that the crimes are not at all the same, but somebody from this story is in my next story. Ooh, so tune in next week to Dead Time Stories. I love it. Yes. I'm Stephanie. I'm Sarah. And, and this, this has been, been Dead, Dead Time, Time Stories. Thanks for listening. Dead Time Stories is hosted by Sarah Heddens and Stephanie C. Curtison. Music and editing by Eric Gershnow. Artwork by Rennie Slackman. 